And now, The Road. Welcome to The Ropes. I am Rafe Bartholomew from Grantland.com. I'm here with Brian Campbell from ESPN.com. He's here. He's he's talking to USADA. He's got some problems with his IV hookup, but um, you know, I think he's ready for today. Are you ready to talk about the uh, the finale of the century? Oh yeah, I got my uh, Panama Lewis uh, official ordered bottle here. Not that not that <laughs> one. The other one, the one that I mixed, and uh, I'm ready to get deep in IVs right here because uh, Rafe, we're coming off of Mayweather, Berto. We were both there in Las Vegas last week. Uh, a lot's been said about this fight since it's since it's happened, but uh, we're going to have an interesting show kind of breaking this down. we got a great guest. Virgil Hunter was in the corner with Andre Berto against Floyd this weekend. going to talk about that and, you know, his stable of fighters that includes Andre Ward, Amir Khan, uh, a little bit of Brandon Gonzalez, but only in some of our audio clips for the whispering, uh, and also just hit up a lot of stuff, boxing news and everything that's going on right now. Um, and so let's jump into last weekend. And before we get into the the fight and the, and the real action, just the scene I want to talk to you about, especially, you know, the and the atmosphere at a Mayweather fight. What was the was there any fighter that caught your eye? Anybody who was really styling in the crowd? Anything that's just wearing an outrageous outfit? What, who 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 stuck out to you? Well, this fight was void of the normal celebrity rush that you get ringside. I, there wasn't even really a whole bunch of fighters. Normally, fighters, you know, congregate this as sort of like the the annual meeting or something. You know, the the Heyman organization PBC get together <laughs> wasn't a lot of that. But we did see our guy, middleweight contender. Well. Contender, but uh, our guy Gabe Rosado was I mean, styling in the BKB crowd. BKB champion, the BKB middleweight champion, stuck out like a like a, a severed thumb in the crowd, wearing <laughs> all white, but with like the collar and the shirt buttoned down a little bit, with the chest hats flowing. I know he's coming up in that Creed movie <laughs> in November. Had the lady with him. This guy was styling, profiling, recognizing it was it was fantastic. You catch okay. any, you catch your eye on anybody? Yo, I, 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 yeah, I asked that only to set this up, man, because I saw. Uh, well, he's fighting at light heavyweight now. Former uh, super middleweight titleist Lucian Boutte. Oh, my man. Everyone's favorite Quebecois Romanian. Uh, in let Vegas. Me guess, let me guess. He was wearing white pants. Every time I've seen him, he had white pants yeah, on. This, no, but he looked like. All right. He look, I don't know if you've seen this video. If you even. I don't know if you know this song. Um, but DeBarge, Rhythm of the Night. Uh, he looked oh, yeah. like. He looked like. You could have put him. Just put like a curly wig on him, and he would have been in this DeBarge video. He had. This is the rhythm. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, now I got to sing, like, feel the beat of the rhythm of the night. Oh! All right. Um, <laughs> now that we're doing ropes karaoke here, yeah, you know. Uh, uh, Lucia Boutte had, like, these bright red pants on, like, almost um, bordering on salmon, uh, tight white shirt, and a terrible red fedora. Uh, he, he, was, he was ready to be in, you know, like a, a bad new edition knockoff in Quebec. Uh, nice. I was enjoying. All right, Leo, let's, let's, let's move it along. Um, yeah, yeah, hitting the fight. Look, there's, there's only so much you can say about that. It played out completely to the negative stereotypes we had coming in, a complete whitewashing. I mean, the, my, you know, my biggest takeaway from this fight is the most cheers you got from the crowd was when Floyd clowned Berto late yeah. in the fight. That sums up everything you need to know about this fight. No action. You know, once Berto came out, not trying to rush and be aggressive, he came out trying to box. It was just like, we've seen this before. Rafe, look, I'm going to just give a tight mini rant here. A lot of people are saying, who cares about this matchup? It could have, you know, who, it would have been the same result if he fought Thurman. It, you know, it, it wasn't going to do big pay-per-views coming off Maypac. 
back. Who cares? This is Floyd's choice on the way out. He's had a great career. I actually say that's the exact opposite, and this hurts Floyd going out this soft on the way out because this was almost like an FU, like like flipping off the fans, I think, to me on the way out. A 74-95 pay-per-view against just a certifiable no-hoper in every category, especially since Berto didn't really play to his strengths and sort of recklessly attack like we thought he might. I felt that, like, Floyd did miss a chance here. This was an opportunity, if he had done this right, whether doing it on free TV or going against a, a more difficult opponent, to go out with his arms raised and all of us, especially us who, you know, criticize him through the years, to just stand and applaud and say, look, you did it your way, you closed strong, congratulations on your performance. Instead, it's the exact opposite of that. And I heard a bad quote the day before the fight that, that rubbed me wrong. Leonard Ellerby, Mayweather's CEO of Mayweather Promotions, was addressing a couple media members. And he's like, look, everybody's ripping this pick of Birdo in this fight. But really, come on. What's the difference between Birdo and Thurman? And once I heard that, I was like, I'd like to hear what man. Keith Thurman would say about that, you know, because he will slap your fighter up. But we're going to talk about that later. Right. And the point being here, Rafe, that like Floyd was so good at 38, still so good against Birdo that, yes, that performance would have beaten any welterweight or junior middleweight in the world. But that's the problem. The fact that he didn't do that performance against a Keith Thurman, against a, even a Sean Porter, anyone in that category. It was just a, a giant downcast event. In, All right. It, could, it should, didn't have to be like that. I feel dude. you. But here's the thing. You can't have it both ways. You can, we can't say last week that this is, you know, none of us believe this is actually his final fight and then be like, well, this was a terrible final fight for Floyd. Like, True. this was probably, uh, I mean, I think we're all willing to bet on some level that this was his, you know, stay busy, that his, his sort of, you know, break opponent after fighting Manny before he fights whoever number 50 is going to be. Uh, and hopefully, you know, to a lot of people, whoever's going to make it 49 and one, or at least how that's, that's how they're going to have to, that's how they're going to sell it. Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, that it, it's not, I don't think it's his last fight. So I'm not going to pretend I'm All disappointed right, so you, that, that, that this is his last fight. It's disappointing because it wasn't competitive, but I kind of thought that it was almost ingenious the way that he, that they played Birdo into this role because he seemed like the only person in the arena, probably the only person watching on television, only person period who didn't realize that this was just like high level sparring for Floyd and that he just had total control over the action Berto seemed like he didn't even though he didn't really accomplish much to, you know at all uh, he he seemed like he was still trying at the same level in every round all the way down the down the down to the last few rounds it wasn't like Robert Guerrero or Canelo or guys who once they became or Manny once they became sort of outclassed and outdone they just they they slowed down they just said you know what I'm gonna stop embarrassing myself Berto was just laying it all out there no matter what even though he couldn't do anything so it was yeah, kind he, of like the perfect canvas for for Floyd to do his uh, his dance all over and it wasn't a very flattering dance to a lot of people but that's how Floyd likes it and he got it I just don't think Floyd. Just like when we criticized Adonis Stevenson the night before for running around the ring celebrating after <laughs> knocking out, you know, the, the factory worker, Tommy Carpency, I don't think Floyd can do those same, you know, flaunt, taunting gestures that he did. But you're basically saying, listen, Brian, you're Brian, instead of you saying, look, Floyd is trolling the fans, Floyd is flipping off the fans. You're basically saying, look, this was his last fight on the Showtime contract. He's just cashing in and leveraging his power. He'll be back no matter what. You know, it was up to you if you wanted to buy it. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, like, I couldn't say it better myself, man. All right. Well, let me get into – look, we've, we've went up and down on the Floyd legacy thing. We talked to other people, had a great talk last time with Steve Farhood all about that. We're going to talk to Virgil about that as well. But sometimes I do wonder if we, if we are a little bit too hard on Floyd – 
And I know there's polarizing reactions in opposite directions. Sometimes I do wonder that whole debate of if it was a, a more likable fighter in this role. If, and right now the most likable fighter is Triple G. So if Triple G ended up having the same career and cut certain corners and took advantages of certain opportunities, would we be praising him on the way out or would we give him the same sort of, you know, criticism? What's your early, like, quick little feel on that? So just put put GGG or Triple G, as you like to say, in Floyd's shoes. Yes. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, a lot. I mean, we uh, the media, a lot of fans, uh, especially the people who tend to have a voice in media, uh, look out for ways to 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 knock Floyd down a peg. Um, And even the people who who like him, I I mean, I I like him as a fighter. Uh, Even I'm not going to go out of my way to defend him because, you know, if you do, you just have the whole world coming down on you in one way or another. It's just not so he's made it impossible for to for anyone to really take up his cause and defend him and there may be a little bit of a double double standard certainly he likes to i think he overstates the double standard whenever he's addressing the media like right. after you know the post-fight press conferences when he's like none of y'all thought i could beat pacquiao and you're like floyd what are you talking about like yeah, you know think, only a handful of people were silly enough like me and you to, to yeah the two sitting right here to uh to call well, that fight for manny yeah Let's test it out then. I got a little game for you here. You didn't know this was coming. Yeah. I want to give you two polar opposite reactions to certain parts of Floyd's legacy. Quick, five quick questions. You tell me which side of the argument is more true. I'll tell you your, tally your score, and we'll find out right now whether we're haters or regulators. Here we go. <laughs> Number one, Floyd has handpicked his entire resume above lightweight, fighting only opportune times for him. Or Floyd will have retired, defeating every big name of his era. Which statement is more true? First statement. Okay. Number two, Floyd never consistently matched himself against the very best and put a ceiling on his own potential legacy. Or by going unbeaten and virtually untouched throughout his whole career, Floyd proved he's the best of his era and couldn't have raised his legacy any higher because of the era he's in. Second statement. Number three, Floyd's resume is only bolstered by the fact that he's the richest athlete and gave fans the three biggest fights in boxing history and four out of the top seven, so you got to respect his financials. Or Floyd's lustful pursuit, lustful pursuit of money kept the sport hijacked, prevented other great fights from happening. It, it put people in line to try to win a lottery rather than climbing the rankings. Which one is more true? Second statement. Mayweather's a technical wizard and a joy to watch for those who really appreciate the sweet science, or he's unwilling to take chances and the most boring fighter to ever consistently run pay-per-view. Overwhelming first statement. Oh, and now the clincher here. The entire second half of Floyd's career was a selfish bait-and-switch job where he refused to engage, and you know what? He was never for the fans. He was only about lining his pockets. Or, hey, you know what? Screw what the fans think, Rafe, because boxing is a sport that ruins 90% of the people in it. Floyd beat the game. You're just jealous. Stop hating. Second statement. I got to say, Rafe, three to two on, on pro Floyd. Maybe we're a little bit of haters here. TMT, man. No, with pro Floyd, three to two. That's, that's fair and balanced is what I like to call it. All right, all right. It was close. It's fair and balanced. It's down the middle. You know, maybe we're maybe it's a little bit of both in the end. But but no one really has an opinion that's anywhere in that gray area. It's black and white all the way with him. So you you were saying earlier, a little off air, that you 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 think that Floyd could have sort of turned turned face and been put sort of ended his career or at least this phase of his career a little a little more softly and friendlier if uh, if if sort of 
post the Canelo fight. Well, well explain this. Is this whole thing? Yeah, here, okay, I had this bad feeling after this Berto fight, just this negative feeling. And, and the, the bigger feeling was it didn't have to be this way. And there was that, ex- that distinct point at the end of that Canelo fight. Remember when Floyd got almost screwed on that third so- scorecard by C.J. Ross? Yet after the flight, the fight, Floyd didn't even talk negative about that. And this was the first post-fight where he really went on and on praising his opponent. I mean, he had just basically shut out this guy Canelo, who everybody said was going to knock him down and beat him and destroy him. Everybody? Not everybody, but yeah, yeah. Let me pull that back. Not everybody, but there was, you know, there was some legit danger. People didn't think Floyd wanted the fight, and he was praising Canelo after that fight and talking in a positive reflective manner on his legacy where for the first time I, w- I thought they might have been teasing a face turn and I felt that if they had done that it may have actually worked because people love a redemption story in sports especially someone who had you know played a villain or done certain things off off the field in the past and then sort of come back in in you know in apologize and sort of turned it around. I mean, look at Ali just as an example, being one of the most polarizing ever, hated for like the first half of his career and and essentially loved over the second half and leading on to his legacy. I thought that they were doing that with Floyd and maybe missed a chance. It would have taken him essentially to publicly maybe, you know, apologize for some of his transgressions. Okay, uh, Brian, no. It never happened. Uh, it, uh, maybe it never happened, and it will never. It will, it's not possible. Like the way that this media climate works, you saw the the storm that built up through the Maidana fights, that that culminating in the fight against Manny with with everything with his domestic violence. I mean, you can't uh, a fighter as big as him can't cannot. Uh, you know, can't beat that and he can't talk his way out of it. He's done what he's done. Um, and people have judged him for it and, and judged him, I think largely appropriately and negatively. Uh, and, and I don't think, you know, being nice to Canelo is going to change, you know, all the, all the sort of press that kicked up. I just think that the, it looked like they were attempting to turn him from villain to suddenly aging superstar still on top, taking on dangerous challenges. And I think they missed a window there to just the way that they marketed and went after some of these fights. If they painted it more like, here's your aging, unbeaten superstar trying to go the distance, maybe if Floyd, because look, we, we think Floyd's playing a character right now. Maybe it's closer to his personality, but we think he's still playing sort of this evil character that tries to trick you into buying the fights because you want to see him lose. I don't think it would have been that much of a stretch for him to play the entire opposite and it does beg overall a question if he had gone the distance there with a little bit of a face turn would we have been praising him trying to push him into the top 10 at this point rather than trying to essentially push him out the door it's it's just something to think about possible i think you know he's still got time to to come back and and take some fights that people you know that people will get excited for and if he wins and, and sort of uh, have people at least on the merits of his boxing pushing him further up those lists if he really even cares about that with all the money he has he doesn't have to care about that he you know no one the one of the most impressive things to me about his career and and the character is that i don't have any clue what I think Floyd Mayweather is really like behind closed doors. He could be anything, and I would believe it. He could be the same person he is on TV. He could be totally different. I and like I, all I am willing to believe is that he has thought it out way further than anyone else has. I mean, he's like you know he's the, the they talk about how Al Heyman is with business, and no one really knows what he's like uh, except those who have done business with him. Well, I don't think anyone knows what Floyd is really like except those who <laughs> the 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 the, the <laughs> many female assistants who live in that house with him believe that well one thing we did get stepping aside from floyd for a second was a was really a loaded undercard that actually played up to and maybe above expectations rafe no how doubt. do you sort of you know i graded it a b plus coming in how did you how would you grade it coming out of it 
I, I was pretty high on it uh, coming in just because of the Martinez-Salido fight, which turned out to be great, probably a fight of the year, or at least a candidate. Um, and... Uh, and the uh, the Groves Badu Jack fight, which which turned out to be you know competitive, not not a not an amazing fight, but a worthy competitive fight True. that told us something about the super middleweight division and kind of told us something about George Groves at least. Um, Don't forget, so, Vonis, dude. That, that, that wasn't even. I mean, that was a Showtime Extreme. All right, Vonis, I'm all right. I'm I'm with Vonis. Good fight. Yeah, I'm with Vonis. Yeah. You almost have forgot. Yeah, true. Well, I thought Martinez Salido, too, completely lived up to and above expectations to the point where I think right now, and some people have argued with me, that it is my fight of the year. I thought it was back and forth. I mean, savage aggression. Salido throwing over 1,000 punches. I mean, they really, both guys went down. There was dramatic turns in it, changes in momentum. But, Rafe, were you with me on this one part of it? How bad was that crowd? It was as if, like... You couldn't have picked a worse crowd to see such a great fight. I remember a couple of times looking around going, this fight's absolutely incredible. And the only time this crowd has popped all night was for when George Groves got announced. Yeah. Or, was yeah if, like, there this... were the Brits there and there was the, the, the other time they popped was during between rounds when they would play like, you know, the whip Nene song and the high school <laughs> kids who got free tickets in the top were up there dancing. But like this was a uh, Mayweather fight crowd. And I thought it was almost a shame to Martinez and Salido who were just emptying the, the, the bucket it in there how like there was no pops whatsoever i was going nuts i mean i couldn't contain myself this fight was so good live talking to dan rayfield he thought that hurt its chances for fight of the year do you think it's right there at the top though i don't think the crowd necessarily hurts its chances for the fight of the year people who are going to decide that most of them probably watched at home i mean i don't think every member of the boxing writers Association in america was sitting uh, uh, sitting there watching the fight live and, and affected by the crowd um i think for me right now it's in my top two and, and probably a better fight than the other one in my top two which was the uh, which was Matisse Provodnikov, which wasn't even a great fight, but it was such a memorable performance, almost because of the way that Ruslan lost that fight. I mean, it's weird to, to call that. It's not really a fight of the year, but it's it's. I cannot forget the the, it was the so violent, what yeah. he put up, what he survived, and he in rallied that. back. And late in yeah, that fight. I mean, it was the most holy crap performance I've seen, even in a pretty pretty very clear loss. It's, it's a sort of a confusing fight uh, that I it might be my most memorable fight of the year. This one, I think, w is probably my fight of the year right now. Uh, you know what's going to outdo that, though, of course, the, you know, Brandon Rios, Tim Bradley, uh, True. you know, True. nut measuring fest. And and Huck Glowacki was interesting. You know, was Santa Cruz too. Morris was in there. It's been a, it's been a decent year after after it builds slow for fight of the year. I, I will tell you, man, Orlando Salido's body punches when he starts marching oh, forward man. and just like shoveling the fists is a it is just a brutal. Uh, How about the last four yeah. years for that guy? Remember, he sort of like you know he had ten losses at, at a real somewhat early point. I mean, right around his thirty year old birthday, he a lot of us really found out about him from those two fights with Juan Ma. Yeah. Since then, I mean, even though his stock has gone up and down, there's been so many times where we thought, okay, he's old now. That man just <laughs> keeps coming back, fought like a warrior, probably deserved to win, and in the end, it was a draw. But I didn't necessarily love the outrage from the fans in in this regard. Look, I scored a 115-113 for Salido. Very close fight. Uh, one judge had a, a, a draw, 114-114. The other one, 15-13 for Martinez. Probably a little too wide. But the uh, the instant reaction was almost like an outrage as if it was uh, you know, a robbery. And I got I, I just got to tell people to relax a little bit. I, I feel like every time you know social media watches the fight, they forget that it's scored on a round-by-round -round basis. If you look at this fight as a whole, just like if you look at Pacquiao Marquez 3 as a whole, and you had to be asked, 
Who do you think won that fight? Of course you're going to say Salido in this one and Marquez in that one because Salido run the, won the rounds wider than Martinez did, who, who in a bunch of close rounds, I thought maybe just edged it to win five on my scorecard. You had people going nuts, and I think you have to realize one thing about the judges. Here's what a judge doesn't do at the end of the fight. The announcer doesn't come up to him and say, who do you think won? And they give a name. Instead, it's after each round, you know, the judge writes down a 10 to 9 on the card and hands it to the referee. So they don't even know at times what their combined score is until it's read. So I think in this, you have to admit it was a close fight. Whether whether you even thought it was 8 to 4 Salido, I don't think you can get in, at an outrage point if someone scored it 6-6. Six, six. I mean, come on, people. It's a round-by-round round basis. Maybe that's not always the best basis to score a fight. Maybe, you know, Salido's rounds, if, if you could do a half-point system, you'd, you'd give him a bump up to make sure he wins that fight. But Martinez was in this. And let's not forget that Salido Salido started to slow down a lot in rounds 10 of 11, 10 and 11 as Martinez well, That's because he threw a thousand punches, but uh, it's uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, box, we we all know this. I think you're right. People should probably slow down a little bit. We all know, like the the the, the same fans who we all know and love on Twitter, like people we interact with almost every day. They know how boxing is scored, and they know how a fight that you know where where one fighter is winning more winning rounds more convincingly than the other, maybe winning. His his close rounds that we all know how that happens in some fights and, and the scoring is imperfect but that's it like what are you going to do it's we sort of just got to live with it and also i you know the scoring heads can turn off the lights and turn on the film and <laughs> you know turn off the sound and eat pants some Adder- off, pants eat, off yeah eat some adderall do whatever they want to do to focus to lock in i don't care it's you know it was a great fight in this case a draw was unsatisfying but at least it isn't a like a a mark against either fighter even though i mean i i I do personally wish Salido had gotten that win. Um, well, I, do, I will tell you, Joe Cortez. I talked to him after the fight. He watched it from a beach chair overlooking the ring. He had it. <laughs> he had it nine three Martinez. So you you know you do never know a little. No, just kidding. Just kidding. He's fair, but he's firm. Exactly. I, I can Look, agree to the last part. Believe that. Uh, let me before let, let's let's get into sort of the the fallout and the, the stories around uh, Mayweather fight. And the big thing of the weekend really took over the the days the last two days leading up to the fight was the the USADA gate with with Floyd Mayweather. The the story published by Tom Hauser, the you know sort of uh, respected boxing journalist and a longtime biographer of Muhammad Ali. You see him in every documentary. Uh, white hair, um, leather jacket that sometimes he wears as a jacket, sometimes he wears around his shoulders. Um, anyway, he published a, a lengthy uh, in quote, uh, I'm sorry, I won't, I won't uh, a lengthy investigative uh, story about uh, USADA and and Floyd, USADA, I'm sorry, which is one of the drug testing uh, organizations that boxing uses. Um, Floyd's preferred one. Since, Floyd's since, preferred one, as well Golden as Al Heyman's preferred one, as well as Golden Boy's for her preferred one in the past, at least. Um, <clears throat> so they basically, use- basically, WADA puts out the drug terms, and then you either sign USADA. A private, you know, a private company, so, not, not controlled by the government. Let's let's slow it down even more. WADA, World Anti-Doping Agency, which oh, which is sort of like the Olympic standard. USADA, the United States Anti-Doping a- Agency, which sort of takes its uh, its model from WADA and is sort of sanctioned or at least uh, approved by WADA, but uh, not a government controlled company. Right. Obviously, you know. anyway, they they tested it. Uh, they, the the story re- 
revealed that Floyd had gotten a uh, a exemption to use uh, uh, to get IV fluids injected right after the the Manny Pacquiao weigh in uh, the day before their fight last May, um, and which, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, may or you know may or may not have been right at the time. I mean, he got did the exemption come in on time? There have been stories back and forth. Also raised some questions about the number of fighters USADA has caught uh, doping over the years in its experience working in boxing, uh, and also raised a lot of raised some questions about uh, Floyd Mayweather's uh, testosterone, the, the levels of testosterone yeah, so in Floyd's uh, I mean, in this, bloodstream in, the in previous words. fights. In, in Hauser's 50,000 words or whatever they were, there was a lot of layers to this. And and since it was announced, you saw it come back today, actually, with a whole 26-page PDF, you know, breaking apart each point. It's down to he said, she said. But I thought at the very core, there were some key things in there regarding Mayweather that definitely caused you to open your eyes. I mean, what stands out to you the most, Rafe? The thing that stands – well, so the two things that stand out to me the most is the the granting to Mayweather of the exemption to use the IV, IV fluid, which I don't necessarily view that as ob- – like some people are saying that dev- – that, that, that- Hints that he's masking something in his blood because which, of the amount, right? Of, which of is which, that he's which back is in. possible, but uh, I just you know I don't I I you know it to the bigger story to me there is that Mayweather got his exemption a day before the fight with Manny. We all know that when Manny tried to get his exemption uh, and he was getting his from NSAC, the Nevada State Athletic Committee, what's it called? Commission. Commission. Uh, he was trying to get his from the state and didn't, and it was denied. So they're different bodies. So it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison. But when it comes down to it, Floyd got his exemption. Manny didn't. Uh, and and that and so one thing I think that puts us one step closer to this uh, to a rematch, which we may or may not want to see someday. Um, the other big thing was the testosterone levels in Floyd's blood before the uh, Guerrero fight and the Cotto uh, fight. Kodo and, and the Kodo fight, right? And the Victor Ortiz. Basically, those mm. should have per Hauser. Those should have set off alarms to people on because the they were abnormally low. Right? They, yeah. they 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 were the levels were abnormally low, which suggests that there may be some attempt to to veil the, the to 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 mask the 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 presence of of too much testosterone. And the other big thing, of course, was that. Uh, Hauser tried to make the case that USADA doesn't do the CIT carbon isotope testing which CIR. Is that VADA does that is supposed to be the you know but the real th- in-depth th- but that has gone back and forth like exactly. USADA says that they do do it and all this other stuff so and I'm the, not even the other concerned thing that, that came out was the the portrayal that Hauser portrayed that that USADA that with USADA Floyd is allowed to control the testing dates and by announcing yeah. his fight so late but every fighter that does could, that's not a Floyd thing I mean if, the, 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 he's right that it is a flawed model to flawed flawed mo- Floyd model hey uh, it's a flawed model to ha- to test fight by fight and start just a month or two months before a fight whenever it's announced because a fighter can be doping prior to the beginning True. of testing. But it, it, I also don't see, unless you're going to make some totally national effort, which we know is impossible the way boxing is fractured, uh, it just can't happen. Plus, I mean, the cost of testing for a club fighter is probably more than his purse. It just it, It's unfortunately unrealistic at this given time. So yeah, that and Floyd has a special control of 
of that because he's sort of always the A side in his fights. He always decides when they are announced and and all those things. I mean, and if you really want to get deep conspiracy on you, on me, you can talk about how that long wait for Manny and Floyd to announce went, and why did Floyd keep insisting that we wait an extra day? Oh, damn! Um, but but I don't. Again, there's a, a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers, and the reason you can't believe any of it is because this is boxing. Like it's all, all that's that the Hauser story is the the sourcing relies a lot on Victor Conti. Well, who's Victor Conti? He is a w- convicted uh former Balco, Balco head, uh so a, a doping expert and doping provider who, you know, may or may not have turned clean now. I mean, no one he's he's a basically a not a very valuable very believable source. The, All right, here- there's a lot of blind sources in there. There's a lot of things that right. Jusada has pretty convincingly disputed in there. And, and on Hauser, top of that, Hauser has is it works for HBO, which is the rival network to the to to the to, to Showtime, which was putting on the Mayweather fight. And and go back in their career. I mean, there was a time when when Thomas Hauser every year would write an expose of HBO until he started working for HBO and he started writing exposés about somebody else. So, <laughs> so and, we identified all the moving parts here, all the all the slant, potential slant. I think it comes down to like he said, he said, she said. It does raise a lot of potential damning questions. I think about Floyd or any top fighter because look, Rave. Let's be honest with ourselves. Like boxing's broken. The the drug testing overall pretty much is a joke. We all know that. We all know that coming in. There's too much money to be made for a for a for a positive test to a major fighter happen in my belief this is just me talking here i think that there's you know if you're going to play the conspiracy angle that certain tests are covered up because if if that test came out positive to a certain big name fighter it would kill you know the the economy of boxing it would pull away the big fights and, and everyone gets a piece of those big fights whether it's the hotels in the city or the promoters or, or the managers and the all commissions that. everybody commissions and you know we're talking about a system that allowed floyd to go to jail a month late so we can have that fight with to bring in all those extra hundred million. I mean, we're not, you know, boxing's never been considered a level, even fair playing field. But what this did to me, what it did to a lot of people is say, oh, let's look back. Floyd might've been dirty during that run. And, you know, maybe you can make that argument. To me, it just sort of was another reminder of what my actual default real feeling is. Unfortunately, I think everybody's on it. I think everybody's using something. I think it's too easy to break to to skate or skirt around these tests. And if you have a lot of money and you're at the very top of the sport, it's much too easy to the point of possibly being able to control certain certain governing bodies there to to make it in your favor. I hate to be that guy, but we lived this baseball thing in the '90s where all these records are being broken and it felt too good to be true. And then it was, you know, it all came crashing down a few years later. There's too many signs in boxing. Unfortunately, Rafe, that certain people's achievements have to be called into question. I'm not just talking about things like pimples on a chest or anything like that. If you're really going to put I'm a gun always, to my I'm head... I'm always down to talk about the Chackney, man. You I mean, I, it, man. <laughs> I don't put this out a lot there, but if you're really going to put a gun to my head and say, is this guy, do we have questions about Mayweather? Yeah, maybe. Do we have questions about Pacquiao and his prime? Yeah, I guess probably, Mark. I mean, you're just, you know, you can name a fighter. I mean, Hopkins did amazing things late in his 40s. There's, there's been no rumors of that, but it's just, I'm almost at the point where I'm going to believe that that I'm going to question everybody and question the whole system in general than just think, well, maybe this one famous guy is doing it and nobody else is. I mean, where do you kind of stand in this? No, that's the that's a, that's a fair conclusion. I mean, not that every fighter is necessarily dirty, but that any fighter who has the means and motivation to to abuse 
performance-enhancing drugs can do that. And let's be clear, I don't think this is only in boxing. I mean, you know, you see NFL players, you know, caught uh, uh, almost every year, which means more guys possibly aren't getting caught or some guys aren't getting caught uh and you know the nba has uh, a testing standard which is sort of acknowledged to be uh not up to par and and sort of uh persists because of this myth that basketball players wouldn't be helped by those kind of performance enhancing drugs which which is obviously false but just sort of persists because because once upon a time like in the 70s guys were like no nah, muscles you can't shoot when you got <laughs> muscles like you know so i mean it, this this is something i think you know and, really it helps every sport and even in in the, Olymp- in the Olympics, too. I mean, it helps every sport, um, and it probably happens to some extent in every sport. And it's a shame. I mean, boxing is one of the scariest examples because it's a, it's a combat exactly. sport. It's a violent sport. People and it's are- less organized compared yeah. to all those other ones. There's less, you know, there's less governing pl- in pl- government in place. I mean, tr- how many if- fights go by where there's no, where fighters will admit, no one came to test me? And you know, like, it's true what? because if, 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 if a sports league, if a major league like, the, like MLB actually has pretty stringent testing now, um, if, if a league decides to, they can implement a pretty high standard. Maybe not untouchable, but a high standard. Now, boxing, even if you tried to do it with boxing, it, you'd, never, you'd never really get anywhere. You could just venue shop around until you got to the place where you could take what you want you know, and fight under the conditions you want. And that's, uh, I don't, I mean... It's tough to see how you get out of that. And that's sort of my my takeaway from the whole story with the with the with the with the, the back and forth accounts from USADA and the journalists. Right. You know, it's sort of like kicking up dust into a sandstorm. You know, the truth <laughs> is somewhere back there in boxing, but unfortunately, I don't think the I mean the media, the fans, I don't think we ever get to see it. Uh, it well, exists. Real quick, the boxers know, the yeah. promoters might know, the trainers might know, but it, the truth is there. But you, it it it's sort of you'll never see it. You're just, it's just, you know, you blow some smoke, I'll blow some smoke back at you, and then, you know, the dust will settle and we'll still fight. Funny that you said smoke, but real quick, uh, some boxing writers have gone the other route. Nigel Collins wrote a very interesting column, I think a year or two back, about let's, you know, let's just make all the drugs legal, but let's test everybody so you at least know what the other guy is using. Dan Rayfield has a similar theory to work with. To me, when I first heard that, when I first read Nigel's piece, I'm like, come on, this is crazy. We're going too wrong, too much in the wrong direction. It's probably right on in reality, though. And with so many WADAs, VADAs, USADAs out there, why don't you and I just create a, a governing body called Brodopa? Okay. And with Brodopa, we won't test. What we'll do is we'll provide you with the drugs. 24-7, 365. You call Ray for I. We'll show up with a trench coat. We'll open it up. We got pills and syringes. We'll do the injections for you. And then we'll report to everybody at least what you're taking. You Brian, think we can get some customers? Brian, you walk around Brodopa. the streets of L.A. and people will tell you, if you see me wearing a trench coat, it's not because I got pills underneath it's because i got nothing underneath uh but um you got brass rings under there come on oh god um yeah i'm (laughs) i can't even bro dopa i'm on the i'm on the bro dopa train let's get it Hashtag, let's do it. Hey, let's move on. Let's move on. Go for it. Well, one of the fun things that – one of the other fun things that happened this past weekend going on in sort of the press room that got a little bit of buzz, uh, and you were actually present for these interviews, was this this brewing uh, back and forth between Keith Thurman, the welterweight contender, uh, PBC fighter, uh, who obviously many people thought would have been a better opponent for Floyd Mayweather, and uh, Virgil Hunter, Andre Berto's trainer, uh, who, you know, Thurman has – 
has called out Amir Khan, who Hunter also trains as a as a fighter who hasn't taken on real welterweights since he's moved up in divisions, and and you know who has clear problems with a chin, with his chin that uh, that Thurman believes he might be able to exploit, and it got pretty heated and weird. I mean, you were there. Well, tell me about it. Yeah, I, to try to trace this back, I think this all started with a little bit of light trash talk after Khan's victory over, over Algeri, where they're talking about, you know, should Thurman be next? And I think Virgil Hunter made an early statement of, I have a feeling that Thurman's chin isn't what you think it is. And that sort of started a little bit of storm over the last few months of a little bit of back and forth. Thurman kind of in casually saying, look, I'll knock out both Thurman and Khan if they don't close their mouth. Well, this thing exceeded increasingly because uh, at the start of fight week, uh, Virgil was asked about it. He had some responses about, you know, some OG responses that we'll hear about when we ask him in his interview. But Thurman came back with bombs when I talked to him on Friday. And uh, let, let's play a, a little bit of his response back to Virgil. You know what I'm saying? We can sign a contract. I go to your gym and I'll slap you up, man. I don't. I don't got a lot of talk. I don't, I don't want to talk a lot of junk, especially to Virgil. He's the trainer. Get get out of this. You don't belong in this. This is the fighter's world. I will f*** your fighters up, each and every one of them. You know what I'm saying? And if you want to jump in with it, you know what I'm saying? My hands are there. I'm a throw. You know, I'm like I said, man, like, <laughs> look, I don't, I don't like threats, and he's not a fighter. We don't, we're not going to fight, unless if he wants to fight. I don't like beating up old people. You know what I'm saying? But... I don't like, I don't like, I don't like motherfucking shit either, man, you know, and um, that's that, you know, I mean, zero to a hundred real quick. So there's a, uh, there's, well, first of all, you were, you were away. there, you were, you were, you were blown away. I'm blown away right now. You were there for that interview. That, that tape actually comes from Ellie Secback, the, the videographer. I don't want to, you know, get called out for, uh, for any, uh, internet, uh, whatever, uh, infractions on this one. But, uh, yeah, you were there for that, Ellie, a couple of the journalists, uh, when Keith Thurman and, went off. Um, the, and the, Ellie had recorded Virgil the night before, you know, essentially saying, you know, some tough stuff about if, if Thurman really wants to test me, then I'm not fooling around. And it, it was very interesting that Thurman sort of jumped to that next level. It wasn't like, Hey, old man, be quiet. He was like, yo, I'll throw these hands, bro. You know, <laughs> and it's especially funny getting into it with Virgil Hunter like that, because if anything, Virgil's reputation for talking has been for a much more soft-spoken style. <laughs> so basically, before we jump jump into this interview and talk to Virgil uh, about Keith Thurman and the Bert and the Berto Mayweather Mayweather Berto fight and all these other issues, uh, we're gonna play you out with a little clip of uh, Virgil's greatest hit, talking to Brandon Gonzalez in the corner before the final round of his fight against uh, Tommy Gunn Wiesteisen, the South African unpronounceable man. Uh, and uh, and let us get into that. Dig again, again. Take a swallow. Calm yourself. Make up your mind. You don't win this one. Yeah. This is the last round. It's yours. Look at me. Don't let it get away. This is the last round. Now listen. If he's not gonna be busy, you keep walking him, okay? And taking your breath. Attack him along the ropes when you walk along the ropes. If he comes to you, step in and meet him with fast punches, okay? This is the last round. It's dramatic stuff, that whispering in the corners. Now stepping into the ropes, 
the former Boxing Writers Association of America trainer of the year, one of the most respected minds in the game. You'll see him in the corner with the likes of Amir Khan, Andre Ward, and Andre Berto. We're talking to Virgil Hunter, who was in Berto's corner this past Saturday against Floyd Mayweather in Las Vegas. Virgil, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, and you're most welcome. Virgil, let's get right to, to, to the most recent topic of the sport, of course, Floyd's exit, this fight against Andre Berto. Look, however you're going to game plan against Floyd, you know you're in for a difficult night. As, as he likes to say, 49 have tried and failed. In hindsight, though, what would you have instructed Berto to do differently? Because a lot of people expected him to come out and really just try to rush Floyd and attack him. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. How do you look back on, on how that played out? Well, I don't think anybody who's seen Floyd fight can name me one fight or anybody rushed him and attacked him, uh, that's simply not going to work uh, unless you resort to some of the tactics like Madonna did, you know, more or less MMA type of fighting. Uh, it's not going to work because he knows his terrain. You have to give him credit for his IQ. If you go in them fight trying to match his IQ, you're wasting time. My job with Berto was to get Berto to react. Uh, to what Floyd was doing. I thought he did it pretty well, but at the same time, there were some things that we had worked on that he didn't implement at all. Now, I expected that. I was hoping to get 40 to 50% of what we worked on. I was hoping 40 to 50% of that would show up. But, you know, until people are actually in there, the moment, the crowd, the whole thing that goes behind fighting Floyd Mayweather, not just getting into the ring. Um, you can expect to see a fighter sort of resort to instinctive fighting as opposed to fighting uh, according to plan. Unless you have a very experienced fighter that you started out yourself from day one, it's very difficult to get a fighter that comes to you off some down periods, some, some, some down times in his career and you're trying to revive him and build him back up, it's very difficult to to make that happen. But all in all, um, I'm happy because he can continue to fight and get more confidence. We got him back physically where he should be, and now his confidence should grow along with that. And I think he has another good two years to be more effective. I, I'm looking for this to make him a better fighter. Great. Uh, Virgil, you, you know, I'm curious, what are a couple of the, the things that you, you mentioned that you, you know, were hoping to see from Andre in the fight that, for whatever reason, he, he wasn't able to implement? Well, first and foremost, when Floyd would look to rest, mm -hmm. uh, I'll use the ropes as an example. When Floyd goes to the ropes, he's he's, he's got to rest now. He can't keep up on his legs all three minutes of the round. And I trained but we worked and worked on not coming near in that zone and having a conversation with him. In other words, stopping and talking to him. Not literally, but if you stop your feet, I call that. Why are you standing there having a conversation with him? He was to get right to the point. And there were moves that we worked on where he would shift his feet over to either side, depending on what Floyd did. But true to his nature, uh, you know, true to the pressure and the nature of him, he kept throwing the same over-the-top right, 
which was okay if he would have used it as a decoy and shifted to his left and come up underneath with the left hand, mm-hmm. uh, double uh, to the body and back up to the head and then bring the right uppercut in. His money punch, the uppercut, I don't think he threw it at all. Right. And then also uh, letting Floyd kill the clock and also rest on him by getting him engaged in conversation, uh, which was a no-no. Even when Floyd shimmied in the tent. He literally should have ran at him mm-hmm. and just punched, you see. But all fighters are different. Uh, Berto is not a fighter that I would call a fighter with a killer instinct. He's competitive, and he's he's competitive. He You just can't walk to him and jump on you. He doesn't jump on him. He'll fight you back. And he's tough. He can endure a lot. But the intensity, the killer instinct where he really wants to hurt somebody, that's not his makeup as a person. You can't instill that in a fighter. It has to come with him from a kid. He just has to be that way, his temperament. So all fighters are a little different. But I would have liked to see him uh, be a bit more calm and and, uh, and trust his conditioning more because he was in great shape. And whenever Floyd needed to rest, not to let him get those three and four breaths, but if he kept pushing the issue, that three and four would have turned into six and seven. Mm-hmm. And if he kept pushing the issue, maybe he would have needed nine and ten. If we'd have got him on the other side of six and seven breaths, he needed to perform at his best. Then we it would have been a different fight for sure. Virgil, we look at Floyd. I mean, there's so much you can say about him. Whether whether people are pro and con, you got to give him his respect for the longevity for completing this task of going the distance unbeaten. If he's walking away for good right now, and we're taking him at his word, how do you personally gauge his legacy and maybe where he might rank compared to these these all time great names? Well, you, you have to rank him at the top. I mean, you have to rank him in the success of his career. It would be unfair to rank him any other way. I mean, I know there in boxing, and only in boxing, do you have, well, he wouldn't have beat this guy, or he wouldn't have beat that guy, or Leonard would have knocked him out, or Robinson would have. You can only rank him in his era and during his career. And during his career, he had a sensational career. He was undefeated. Uh, he, he set new standards in the game. He's a pioneer in the game, something that nobody has done except him. Um, he brought, uh, you know, more or less reality TV to boxing with all access 24-7. So he self-marketed himself. You know, he was a genius in that capacity. So you, you have to rank him up there with, with some of the best. And I you know, be willing to dispute anybody that would say any different because um, it would be wrong, simply wrong. True, true. He clearly walks away as the best of his of his time in this package of this era. So much to talk to you about, though, Virgil, about the other fighters in your stable. Uh, I'll make, you know, we're excited to see Andre Ward back. I wanted to talk to you, though. It seems like even leading up minutes before we started this interview, this this banter back and forth is continuing on social media between Ward and his team and Gennady Golovkin and his team. They're arguing about who's the bigger draw. Look, I want to put this out there. A Ward-Golovkin fight, to me, is the one fight 
technical wise, you know, style wise that I want to see above all the rest. In your opinion, do you think that that's a fight that that we're close to seeing, or do you think that there's just too much in the way with with the banter and the back and forth and the money, all of that, to, to see this as a reality in the near future? Well, you know what? I don't think we'll see that fight anywhere in the future, uh, at least not within the next year. Uh, K2 has made it quite plain what they intend to do with Gennady. And look, they've done one heck of a job with him, the marketing and, you know, and all the other things that go along with promoting him. But he's done his part, too. And, um, you know, the way he's dispatched his foes and everything, it endears him to not only uh, purists, in the game, but it endears him to, you know, some of the fans that might not know I was the next person. So you want to give him his props. He's a sensational fighter. I think from Andre's end is that Andre feels like they've used his name sort of to catapult a little bit. And, you know, I have to agree with him. It's not much, but if you, it's like Ronda Rousey using Floyd's name, mm-hmm. you see. It, they use it as a catapult, of course. It's going to draw interest, and it's going to uh, suggest to people that, hey, this is a real feud, this is a real issue. But he simply says, if you're not going to fight, then you shouldn't mention my name. And I think that um, the fact that when K2 said they would come up and fight Chavez at 68 and Frotch at 68. Uh, he wondered, well, I'm 68 too. But when they came back with the draw and who's the pay-per-view and this and that and that and the other, he, he saw it as an excuse because anybody who knows boxing knows that those two signed to fight, that it would definitely be a sold-out fight uh, no matter where it was. So, and he feels like uh, Golovkin has gotten a lot of press off of not really being in with the toughest competition yet. Um, and, you know, Andre's a, a realistic kid. He, he, he doesn't mind losing, you know. His thing is, okay, well, if you're the best, we're supposed to fight each other. And um, I, if I lose, I lose. If you lose, you lose. But at least we're supposed to fight each other. So, you know, it's... I don't even get into it myself. I just <laughs> hear things. I heard something about it. I haven't researched it. I don't care to research it. <laughs> but um, they have done a great job with him, and he's one heck of a fighter, a murderous puncher, and, and I wish him well. Sure thing. Uh, Virgil, uh, now that, you know, the promotional disputes are sort of behind, you know, in, in behind Andre and, and he's, you know, active again. Um, how how often do you want to see him fighting and uh, and getting in the ring? And, and, you know, do you think that, you know, he still needs uh, another, you know, another fight against a solid opponent, but maybe not at the, you know, Golovkin or, or when people talk about Sergey Kovalev or one of those really dream match type things. Um, you know, does he still have a little bit of rust that he, that you think he needs to work off? Or is he, you know, could you, if the business were right, could you let him fight one of those guys, you know, in his next fight? Well, no, because right now we haven't determined about the weight. Yeah. And that'll be taken care of uh, soon. 
the decision we're going to make. But if he's going to light heavyweight, it's one thing to move into a weight class. It's another thing to settle into the weight class. So there's no way that I would let him take a fight of that magnitude until he settles into the weight class. And it takes you about a year to settle. You know, people get fooled because you moved into the weight class. But it takes a moment to physically settle into the weight class. And if he's going to fight Kovalev, who I'm considering, who I consider a very fine and dangerous fighter, you can bet your best dollar that he's going to settle into that weight class. Um, I'd like to see him fight four times within a year's time. Hopefully, hopefully I'm hoping that uh, from his last fight up until uh, the end of next summer, that would be a year that he'd have three more on this belt. Then I'd like to drop it down to three times a year. Um, he has no wear and tear on him other than a little couple of injuries that he has physically. Uh, he's a young man. Any punishment, very difficult to hit, very uh, physically strong. Uh, he doesn't party, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't run the streets, a family man. So he... Um, He's been fighting since he's nine, so, you know, all the attributes that he has is intact. And he's only going to get better. I always told him his best years would be in between 32 and 35, so because he'll still have the physical capabilities, but his mentality will also uh, mesh well with his physical capabilities, and he'll just have it all put together by the end. So I'm looking forward uh, to the next two, three years. Virgil, the, the the business side of that with, with Ward being away, you know, it is what it is. He made the decisions he needed to to get to the point in his career that he wants to be. From your perspective, though, you put in a lot of years of helping him get there. You know, at the at the end of 2011, he was on top of the world following that Super 6. Do you have any regrets when you look back to see that some of that momentum took a hit with being away for so long? Well, I mean, I have to respect him on what he felt was right for his career. And, you know, sometimes it's better you get more out of a man that has that kind of character as opposed to a fighter that would, uh, I would say, concede to something that's obviously wrong and continue to fight because he's going to feel like he's uh, uh, selling himself out. So, again, Andre's been boxing since he's been nine years old. And I feel like all fighters that have been fighting that long should take a year off, year and a half off. And it doesn't make you rusty. People don't understand that. What makes you rusty is if you're taking time off and you're not doing anything. <laughs> you're gaining weight. You're going nightclubbing. You're traveling. You're having fun. you got this girl and that girl. <laughs> it's the normal wear and tear of life's vices that right. will make you rusty. But discipline in his hands because he never stopped working out. And even on the fight coming back, uh, he was fighting the cruiserweight that night. And, you know, he fought the necessary fight that he had to fight, particularly the one I wanted him to fight. I wanted him to take his time, get some rounds in, beat him up with the lead hand, break him down, and then stop him. And that's what he did. So um, I would say he is at about 85% of his full capacities, but he was that before. I said he was that before um, he went into the litigation process. So it's the fight that's going to bring out the rest of it, him having consistent fights, and that's what we're looking for. 
separate. Now, Virgil, uh, going back to this past weekend in Las Vegas, uh, aside from uh, your your fighters being in action, you started you got in a little bit of a war of words with Keith Thurman, uh, the welterweight. You know who's called out uh, Amir Khan and other fighters you work with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it got pretty heated. Uh, but for for both of you guys, uh, you know, what? How did it all start? And what's the? You know, is it? Is it genuine? Is it just sort of like, is it hype? I mean, what's what's going on? Well, I don't think you can say I got into a war of words with him. I haven't spoken directly to Keith. Mm-hmm. This is something going back on. I think what happened was uh, they brought up Keith Thurman after Khan's last fight without Jerry in the press conference. Right. The fact that he wanted to you know, knock out Khan, and I simply said, you know, he needs to be careful because I've seen him hurt, you know, Mm -hmm. several times, not only in the pros, but in the amateurs. So, I mean, he took offense to that, but that's okay. That's that's true to his nature. Now, you know, he says, you know, he wants to knock me out, but that would be a real foolish thing to try to do. I mean, yeah, I teach boxers, I train boxers, but I'm 62 years old, but there's a lot of fighting that's in my body that not all, not only boxing but other things that I know that he, he wouldn't want to do that. And I just let him know, you wouldn't want to do that. And I tried to make him think, you got a ponytail. You sure you want to come in my hands, grip, you know, because if I get my hands on it's pretty much a wrap, you know. So, you know, Keith is emotional. I don't mean him any harm at all. It's just... uh Something that the way he responds, okay, and he took it that way. If he would take time out, if he saw me to talk about it, um, you know, he would understand that. But I don't know what it is on his end, but it's definitely not hype on my end. I simply said it's something that was true that he took offense to. So it is what it is. I guess everybody has to stay tuned because really it's on him. I'm not seeking anything outside my state. So Well, you did reference over the weekend some of your own combat history, which you just mentioned. You said you were, you know, competing in your past, you close to the elite level in two different sports. I'm just kind of curious uh, at what is your athletic background, and you know, did you fight in the amateurs? Can you uh, shed some light on that? Well, you know, I, I was a good fighter. Uh, unfortunately, I came along at a time that it wasn't like it was, and I had other interests. Uh, you know, I I squandered two professional careers. I know I did. And, you know, I don't really want to go into that. But, you know, I was um, baseball and basketball. But I was um, at the top of the food chain in uh, in those uh, sports. But I squandered it, you know, because my childhood was one of trouble also. And as I grew and matured and everything, you know, I, I like to go out. I like to have fun. So I wasn't the most disciplined person. You know, uh, sometimes I would try to put it together. Sometimes I wouldn't. But, I mean, when I say this, it's not me saying it's just other people who are in those positions to uh, draft you, whether it be baseball or basketball. They were the ones who told me that. And then, of course, I've played in the leagues with the best of pro-ams and all that stuff. And so I knew. But, um, yeah, I'm 62 years old, so even in baseball, um, I never lost a game pitching 
Mm-hmm. From the time I was 12 years old, but I stopped playing baseball at 18 uh, because it was boring to me. But I had no guidance. You know, my, my dad was a musician, and um, he was more or less, um, he was in the Air Force. When he got in the Air Force, uh, during the time he was in the Air Force, he decided he wasn't going to take orders from nobody anymore. So, But he had talent, so he was a musician. He played with a lot of the greats blues and jazz and things. He was based in L.A., and he also was an excellent salesman of high-end clothes, furs, and things like that. So, Interesting. Um, uh, you know, the guidance, the the someone sitting you down and said, this is what you should do. So I think when I was playing baseball, I think Willie Mays and Hank Aaron's, uh, Willie Mays is what I watched in his prime, they might have been making hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year or something like that. Uh, basketball, I think Kareem Jabbar might have been at the top at the time, with two fifty three, something like that. So yeah, it was good money, but it wasn't something that you would look at today and go, wow, you know, where you would have. And then of course, in my day, you didn't have the AAU teams, the youth, all the basketball programs they have today. You didn't have it in my day. You know, we had a summer league in high school, and that was about it. Right. You know, so it was just a different time in there. I, when I look back, I don't regret it because, you know, when I when I finally uh, came to myself, I imparted my mistakes on the young men that became that right. came into my charge. So it all worked out for the better. Now, and and that you know that process you're describing is sort of you know maturation and growing that you're talking about in your own life it, it it seems like it might also be reflected in the the your style as a trainer your demeanor um the way that you talk to your fighters especially at least in fights you know we've seen it's a very calm sometimes even a whisper um that you know i mean fans sometimes you know laugh about but it's it's something that that seems to really connect with guys i mean how do you how 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 does that help did that just come natural to you is it something you you developed uh, and and why why do you do it why do you think it helps well, you know, I worked for the probation department for almost 30 years. Um, I was fortunate enough to get into that field uh, before all the strict requirements came to get into the field back then. It was who you knew. It wasn't what you knew, you see. So by me being a product of uh, Oakland community, mm-hmm. you know, West Oakland, North Oakland, which is, you know, the toughest communities that I went to. McClyman's High School, uh, one of the great high schools, Bill Russell, went to McClyman's High, mm-hmm. uh, Beta Pence, and, uh, uh, Kurt Flood, you name it, they went to McClyman's High, Jimmy, Jim Ellis, uh, uh, Nate Williams that played for Utah, Jim Hines, the first uh, record sprinter in the uh, in 60, I think in 1960 in Rome, Jim Hines, and just a great, great school of tradition uh, in the African-American community. Um, but I also had a compassion for my little cousins and nephews. And, you know, I was the oldest grandson of, what, maybe 25, 30 grandchildren. So uh, it was just kind of in me. So when I went to the probation department, of course, I understood the young men that I was working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they were the same young men in my community. A lot of them live in my community. So uh, when you work with year after year 
uh, a young criminal mind that doesn't necessarily want to be a criminal but has to be or and you work with different uh, uh situations it, it sort of forges you into the personality that you are because you have to get your point across and when you address uh incarcerated men every day uh it 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 definitely gives helps you to have that advantage so they can feel you so they understand where you're coming from right. so it, it was just forged over the years that's all i never really i can't go back to one particular moment when it started mm-hmm. but it is my personality well, Virgil, before we get you out of here, we definitely want to touch on Amir Khan, one of the top welterweights in the world right now. I saw a recent quote from you where you said you believed he could be twice as good right now if he than he currently is. Maybe if he cut down a little bit on the extensive traveling around the world between fights. I'd like you to kind of expand on that, if you wouldn't mind. Well, I don't think it has anything to do with traveling. I think that uh, if he would get here a little more often, I mean... Uh, come and do many camps, which he has to, to his credit. Um, but, you know, he's 5-0 and now. We're 5-0 and together. Um, he's put together. It's obvious he's grown. And, you know, for this particular uh, this particular season uh, after the last fight, he did a lot of traveling, but he has his foundation and things like that that he's working on. But, you know, if you're going to continue to fight, you should work on your craft also. So that's or that's what I was alluding to. He should work on his craft a little more. Uh, you know, come see me, you know, two, three weeks here, two, three mm-hmm. weeks there. And um, it's the fighters that are with their coach. Anytime I go in the ring with a mirror in the welterweight division, think about it. I'm always be at a disadvantage as far as having the fighter with me. Let's let's go from the top. Sean Porter, father with me. Mm-hmm. Keith Thurman lives in Florida where his coach Dan is. Uh, let's see, another welterweight, uh, Danny Garcia, father with me. Right. You see? Uh, and it goes on and on. So Lamont Peterson, Barry's with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that pretty much puts me at somewhat of a disadvantage to just get him for 12 weeks for a fight. There are things that we could work on that we don't have an opportunity to work on because he's not here. So that puts us at a disadvantage because when he comes, you have to start working on the plan uh, according to the opponent that you're fighting. Right. So that's more or less what I was alluding to, right? That he could be twice as good, and I really believe that. Uh, just we can't thank you enough for being here on the ropes talking about you know all your fighters your career um and um you know we're looking forward to seeing you back in the ring with uh andre ward hopefully soon amir khan uh um and everybody else who you're working with including the the young fighters you were talking about thanks a lot for joining us thank you very much thanks for having me in any time thank you appreciate it thank you Brian, Virgil Hunter knows a few things. He knows what to do with his hands. 
Uh, you know, he's, he's a been particular around. set of skills. That's I what, what is he talking about? I, 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 I was I was glad he told us all about his sort of athletic history. I was really hoping he would drop some like Steven Seagal knowledge on us. Like, by the way, I I studied Aikido with the god Steven, uh, <laughs> and you know that I know some things I can do with a ponytail that'll break your neck like that. You Yo, know, Thurman, I mean? you ever see the Screwface Brothers right. from Mark for Death? <laughs> Thurman, don't let me catch you in a pool hall because me, a napkin, and this cue ball can teach you a thing or two. <laughs> No, seriously, he was a great interview. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was interesting to hear his take on a lot of things, but uh, we do know our man Virgil's an OG. But, For sure. Uh, uh, speaking of G's, uh, Triple G, I mean, that has sort of that fight, Triple G, or the idea of a fight between Triple G and Andre Ward, with Virgil also talked about, has sort of kicked up a lot of news this week because uh, Andre was, Ward was talking about Triple G calling him, Little G calling him out for 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 not being serious about fighting him. Uh, and, of course, K2, uh, Triple G's promoter, fired back at that. What's your whole take on this fallout, this back and forth? Do you, do you well, care? Well, the, the new thing that came up was... It came out that Ward did offer to fight Triple G, but it was after Triple G uh, agreed to face David Lemieux. So to sort of echo what Virgil said about it just a few minutes ago, I have doubts that we will see that fight, especially not in the near future. I think Ward is is really headed upwards, 72, you know, 72 in his last fight, 75 in the future. I know talking to Triple G's team, they're focused on 60. They want to make these big fights happen there. It is what it is. They're going to argue who's the bigger star. I think Ward is overpricing himself too much from what I hear, but it's a shame we're not going to see this. That's my take. My thing is that I, the, the one thing that I like about Triple G and also I like about Andre Ward is both of them have, have carried themselves in their careers as if they're sort of above sort of the, the, the talking side of boxing. And I like the talking side of boxing, but I also like guys like that who are kind of like, you know what? I let my fists do the talking. I let my skills do the talking. Uh, and maybe per- perhaps because they recognize the danger in each other as opponents, it, it's causing them to act a little out of character and, and engage in more of this sort of back and forth trash talk. I kind of like these guys as straight up, you know, elite fighters and, and leave it at that. And, Gentlemen. And yeah. 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 Um, so that's been, you know, it's not my favorite side of either of these guys. Uh, I think my favorite side of both of them is when they're in the ring. And I hope that uh, Virgil Hunter was was right in, in his hopes that uh, Ward will be in the ring. What, three, four times a year? I mean, yeah, keep your fingers was, crossed. I'm knocking on wood, right? Um, well, let's hit a couple quick hits on the way out here. I got one question for you. Next week, the ESPN's pound for pound rankings will come out without Floyd at number one for the first First time since his, uh, I would think it goes back to that last retirement he had where he was out in around 2010 area. Uh, we got a couple guys that could fill this number one hole after the voting, after the votes come in. We're talking about guys like Triple G, Ward, maybe even a Rigondon, probably more likely a Ramon Gonzalez. Uh, Klitsch goes in that area for some voters. What's your take on who should replace Floyd right there? This is a tough one for me because uh, I hate to reveal my ballot because uh, everyone gets judged so harshly on these. But in my recent uh, contributions to the ESPN pound for pound list, I have been keeping steady Guillermo Rigondeau second behind Floyd. Oh, and, and people hate him. And now people are going to hate me. Um, look, I, I, I think his win over Nonito Donaire is just one of the best wins of the past five years up there with Floyd and Marquez's wins over Manny. I mean, the that is is uh it was just an incredible performance even even though he got knocked down uh you know he just he outclassed a guy who was one of the most gifted talented True. powerful fighters at that weight um and well, so, you know there's no r- bigger Rigo fan than me but I don't I can't make the case for two right now like he's just not fighting anybody and it's not I his mean, fault you see, man he's they he, tried to talk Loman they tried to do a Lomachenko fight and Rigo's promoter you know overpriced him that fell apart ah oh, man it's just well so I think uh, he's probably the best although if 
you put the gun to my head, I'm going to go with Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez to keep my boxing heads card. Me too. And quickly on the way out here, we wanted this last week. We talked about it. We found out in Vegas it's happening. Tim Bradley and Teddy Atlas are going to join forces when Bradley fights Brandon Rios on November 7th on HBO in Las Vegas. Let me give you just this little quote from Tim Bradley and Dan Rayfield's story, which came out today on this new relationship. I think it's a good match. We're both crazy, said Bradley with a laugh. <laughs> I think it's a wise choice, man. I'm bringing Albert Einstein out of the grave. Apparently, Teddy showed up with an eight-page manifesto about what Bradley's doing wrong. Teddy references Catholic religion, talking about how he wants to... He doesn't care about the regular sins. He's going to try to remove the mortal sins from Bradley's game. What does this stuff mean? Can we bleep that out? I can't wait. Yo, uh, Brian, uh, look, you know where you know where Teddy Atlas didn't show up? He didn't show up yesterday in Los Angeles for the press conference to announce this fight. He What's had a game of chesties. Come yeah, on. Whatever, yo. I mean, th- like, Tim Bradley's thing, complaint with Joel Diaz, was that Joel wasn't giving him enough of his time. That he was going off with other fighters. Teddy can't even show up to the press conference. I mean, Teddy's uh, golden. You know, bite your tongue. Come all right. On. Bite your I'm, damn I'm tongue. looking forward to this. The only the couple things that worried me about it was, like, Brandon Rios is turkey neck. This fight is not that far away. He's got a lot of weight to lose. Uh, I hope that he can get into shape to fight like uh, like the best version of himself because then it's a great fight. Uh, I wanted to ask you one question before we get out of here. And that's, you know what day it is, right? It's September 17th. You know what that means? That means it's one month until October 17th. Triple G, that. Gennady Golovkin, and yeah. David Lemieux, the Quebec woman snatcher, knock you out and take your girl. Uh... My question for you, this is obviously we're excited about this fight, but we're hearing now today both, you know, reported in Twitter, reported on uh, in ESP. Have we reported? I know Yahoo's reported it. But anyway, the, the, the pay-per-views for Mayweather Birdo are going to come in somewhere between 400000 and 550000 That's super low for Mayweather. I mean, that's that's real disappointing. Can Triple G top it. Can he top it and then say, Floyd, I'm the A-side now? (laughs) They got 30 days to try. It's... And I think the top end, the best they could do is 500. And if they got that, they probably would top this Floyd one, although you probably have to wrestle the numbers away from your guy, Steven Espinosa, to find out the real <laughs> numbers. But, uh, we're still looking for Guerrero. But, uh, I don't, I think they'll come up just short. I think the Floyd name will carry it just over the top in the end. I don't know. I, for me, I think, I think it's in play. I think that they're, cause I know HBO is trying to price this one a little bit competitively. I know they're trying to make it seem like a bargain. They got the great undercard with, you know, Chocolatito Gonzalez fighting Brian Veloria Hawaiian punch, uh, which, you know, I mean, it's a good test. A lot of people think it could be a mismatch, but if Veloria comes to fight, it could be good. Uh, Triple G, Lemieux, I'm excited. And, like, I think that, yeah, people are, are kind of, there's a buzz about Triple G. It, I think this is going to, you know, be a little bit of a surprise. And I, I don't think they could fairly claim to be the, the, the biggest draw after beating Mayweather Birdo, but hey, it's boxing, man. You use you take what you can get and you squeeze what you can out of it. Um, and if you can't, just lie and say a lot of crazy things. That's shoot, your... <laughs> uh, that works for the media even sometimes. Um, look, man, alright, before we get out of here, I want to tell, uh, tell all the listeners about the upcoming fights. We're probably not going to be back because, back next week, excuse me, uh, we're probably not going to be back next week because the only thing to preview would be the uh, heavyweight uh, title fight between Deontay Wilder and Johan Duhalpas, who's out fishing right now. If you've seen him on Twitter, Brian has tweeted uh, the pictures of Duhalpas carrying a big old fish. That's the only thing I know that he does uh, well. Um, but anyway, that's a fight we may not come back to uh, to preview next week. So, to give you a little bit of update on the schedule, this week, 
PVC on Bounce TV Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. I don't know what Bounce TV is. You can find it if you want to see Jamal James fight Juan Carlos Abreu at welterweight. Unfortunately, what, Caleb Truax and Fernando Guerrero got nixed off the off the main event there? Last minute, our guy Truex is out, had an issue with his medical exams, but uh, we hope he comes back soon. Rough it's a look. shame, but... Yeah, yeah, rough look. Good luck finding Bounce TV. And then next week, next Saturday night at 8.30 p.m., PBC on NBC, Deontay Wilder defends his tiny portion of the heavyweight championship against Johan Duhalpas, coming with a fish in his corner, trying to put a big old Deontay Wilder fish on his wall someday. That's going to be in Birmingham, another PBC fight. Uh, and then I think we'll probably be back the week after that to talk about a big weekend of boxing at the beginning of October with uh, Matisse Postal and a couple other interesting cards um so with that uh we're gonna take off uh thank you to all the listeners uh thank you very much to virgil hunter for coming and giving us a great interview uh thank you brian follow brian on twitter at b campbell espn follow me at rafe bugs um go on itunes rate us review us do all those things uh keep listening tweet us out say say what's up to us whatever you want to do finally thank you to joe fuentes and david jacoby as always of the grantland network That's all I got to say, man. Thank you. We out. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.